grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready to worship the Lord? Let us be called together in worship then as we read responsively from the 133rd Psalm. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Friends, let us worship the living God. to the Lord, not just with confession, but with the spirit of repentance. And know that not only is forgiveness given as a gift to us, but that the Holy Spirit will guide us in our lifelong transformation. Let's go to God in confession. Forgive our sins, Lord, all of them, sins of action and sins of omission, sins that have hurt others and sins that have hurt ourselves sins of body and sins of soul, sins of thought and sins of expression, sins of neglect and sins of intention, sins of youth and sins of maturity, whatever form they take, we know that we are responsible. So we ask for your pardon and cleansing through Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Lord sees and knows all our parts and all our sides, but in that knowing, God chooses to love us, to work with us, to shape our lives, and to forgive us. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, my friends, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God.
May the peace of Christ be with you. As we prepare to greet one another, we would remind you that our fifth grade and under, except for you guys, <laughs> are, are to meet their Sunday school leaders in the back now and go to their Sunday school class. And also, if you're uh, fifth grade and up, if you would like to attend our youth group, it's happening right now as well. So let's turn and greet each other. Friends, as we're settling back down into our seats, the first thing that all of us want to do is to welcome the Los Angeles Children's Choir. We are so glad that you guys are here with us. I want to say a special word of thanks. I think we've got some parents and other groupies that are hanging with us. Is that some of you guys there? There we go. See, I know who's here and who's not, and they know that, so we're glad to have you guys with us. Mandy, thank you for all the work you're doing in helping lead this wonderful organization. Jayong, thank you for being with us. Juan told me that they call you Jackie, is that right? Yeah, they call me Jackie, too. You know? <laughs> totally cool. So great to have all of you guys with us. Let me mention just a few other things going on in the life of the church. Our Women's Spring Luncheon is Wednesday, May 10th. That's not very far from now. Please sign up at the table out on the patio. We're having a chat with Jack next Sunday after this service so that we can talk about the things I've been preaching about concerning righteousness and justice. So plan to be part of that conversation with us. Next Saturday... We have a scripture memorization seminar led by our own Susan Hohen. We think that you can learn to memorize more than just that one famous phrase from the New Testament. It gets its own verse and it goes, Jesus wept. For those of you who've never been able to memorize scripture, now you can. Jesus wept. But there's a whole lot more that we need to focus on that will feed our souls. So plan to be part of that next Saturday. Friday, we'll be having a memorial service to celebrate the life of Tom Nichols. That's at 1.30 in the afternoon. We're keeping Pat and the rest of the Nichols family in our prayers. Today, following this service at about noon, we have a group of folks who are interested in joining the church or just thinking about joining the church, which is perfectly fine. We'll be in the parlor. We'll serve you a light lunch. If you did not sign up, that's okay. We believe in grace. If you'd like to come, come and be with us. This being the fifth Sunday of the month, we will take our, what we call loose offering that is in the plates. In just a moment, we'll be receiving that from you. So all of the nickels, dimes, quarters, dollar bills, five dollar bills, tens, twenties, hundreds, thousands, whatever kind of money you have, if you simply put it in the plate, then it will go into our deacons fund to help them do their work of ministering to all kinds of folks. So I'm going to tell you right now, and then I'll explain it later. Jan, help me remember to explain it later. I'm putting this $10 bill in the plate, okay? It doesn't have my name on it. I can't read the name of the president who's on it without my reading glasses. But I'll explain this later. But for right now, let me explain this that God calls us to be part of what he does in the world. It is our privilege as well as responsibility. So the ushers will now wait upon us as we present our tithes and offerings to the living God.
Please be seated. God has brought us to this day, invited us to come and be together in worship, and here we are. And so let's gather our spirits and calm our minds and be present to this moment as we go to God in prayer. Let's go to God. You arrived among us, sweet Savior, vulnerable and dependent and trusting. And we can only imagine the heavenly question raised by the host of angels announcing your birth. Will they take care of him? They must have whispered that even, even when the tears of pure love streamed down their divine faces. Love for you, newly born among us, and love for us in such need. And you lived, and you breathed, and you laughed and cried. You taught and preached and healed, and you stayed true, and we didn't. But then your love broke through to liberate us so that we might love as you love. You are the safe place, the home of light, the birthplace of hope, and we know this. Your grace has washed over the valleys and crags and secret hiding places of our most intimate lives. You draw us in to send us out. So help us, sending one, to grasp what you have provided for our mission, that we might worship and study and fellowship, so that we are prepared to take care of all those who cry out for you, all those who do not yet even know you, and to all who have lost hope. And we would ask that you lift us, Lord, so that as we look to the farthest shore, we might see well beyond our own needs and wants and, and embrace the desperation of those without voice, without recourse, without a future to look to. Hold them, hold them in your scarred hands, and by your touch, they will finally see and finally know that we are all your beloved and any lines drawn in the sand are of our making, not yours. And because they are not sacred lines, they are barriers that can be eased and erased. We confess that it's hard, dear God, to sustain grief for others. Our nature wants to turn away and forget but we can only humbly declare to you that we choose not to forget, and we ask you to help us remember. Let us not forget or allow to grow dim the reality of those at war, those hammered by violence, those enduring famine and earthquakes, and God, those on the front lines resisting corruption, serving for the good and breathing life into lifeless communities. Will they take care of him? Will they take care of her? The heavens whisper to us this ancient question each time a child is born, and, oh, Lord, we will try. We pray these things in the name of the one who gave us the spirit to try and care and love in the name of the one who taught us when praying to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
And now a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. From Miletus, Paul sent a message to Ephesus asking the elders of the church to meet with him. When they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am not responsible for the blood of any of you for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. You know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work, we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. For he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And now a reading from the book of James. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of the Lord. So guys, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask all of you a question. How many of you have ever been in a tasty freeze? I'm not surprised. Don't feel bad because you've been in a tasty freeze. You've been in a tasty freeze? I hope so. I hope so. Let's find out out here. How many of you have ever been in a tasty freeze? Okay, see, not many of them either. Okay, so let me tell you what a tasty freeze is. This might not work either. Do you know what a Dairy Queen is? Yeah, okay, more people know Dairy Queen, right? Right. Dairy Queen serves lots of ice cream and a few hamburgers, right? Well, Tasty Freeze was kind of like a cross between Dairy Queen and McDonald's. Does that make sense to you? They served a lot of ice cream and everything connected with ice cream, and they also served hamburgers, okay? Is anybody hungry yet? <laughs> well, I want to tell you a story from the tasty freeze in my hometown. I grew up in a very small town in New Mexico, and when I was about 15 years old, Tasty Freeze built a place in Socorro, New Mexico. It was the first chain restaurant to come into our town. The McDonald's was 75 miles away. You had to drive over an hour to get to McDonald's. So they put a tasty freeze in our hometown and everybody was just ecstatic. We were thrilled. We'd made the big time and we could get some soft serve ice cream and some hamburgers. It was absolutely magnificent. Well, I remember that when I was, I think, 16, and the reason I remember this one is because I had driven myself to the Tasty Freeze, which meant that I had already gotten my driver's license at the age of 15. I drove myself to the Tasty Freeze, and I was walking in the door to order some ice cream, and then probably for dessert, a hamburger. <laughs> That's the way my mind thinks. I was walking into the Tasty Freeze, and a guy came up beside me, and he said, hey, could you spare a few bucks? Well, right there, I had to make a decision. Was I going to give him a little bit of my money? 
Now, back then, I worked for the money that I spent at places like Tasty Freeze. Mom and Dad took good care of me, but, but five bucks or whatever it was going to take to buy him a hamburger, I ended up giving him five bucks. That was a lot of money. Probably, I handed him five. Probably for that five, he could get three or four hamburgers. I know for that five that you could get at least five gallons of gas and probably more, right? Somebody look up on your phone how much gas cost in Socorro, New Mexico in 1972, would you? <laughs> right? Five bucks was a lot of money, and I had earned that money, but something inside me said, this guy has asked me for some money because he's hungry. That's what he said. And so I gave him five bucks. There was another guy sitting at the Tasty Freeze. I hadn't noticed him. But he noticed me giving this other guy five bucks. And after the guy had bought his hamburgers and left, the other guy came up to me and said, Jack, let me talk with you. Turns out he was the local Methodist minister in town. Now, I grew up as a Presbyterian, and back then it was okay for Presbyterians to talk to Methodists. <laughs> And he was a great pastor, a wonderful friend. He visited with me about what he had just witnessed. He wanted to talk with me about how it is that you help people out and what goes on in that kind of a situation. And it was very helpful to me. But essentially he said, way to go, way to go. Now this is a parenthesis, okay? I want to say now, walking out of church after the first service, where I told this story, one of our church members handed me that $10 bill that I put in the offering plate and said, Jack, here's your five with interest. <laughs> I don't want to compute the interest of 50 years on a $5 bill. Little did I know that that five would turn into 10 so many years later. But here's a question. Here's the question for today. Why? Why would I, when I'm 16 years old, decide to give some of my money to someone who I'd never seen before and have never seen since when he asked me? Well, I think the reason is because I had grown up hearing stories about the fact that people who follow Jesus help take care of other people. If you turn off your hearing aids right now or if you're falling off to sleep and don't hear any more of this sermon, hear this. People who follow Jesus help other people. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Last week we started a series of messages about righteousness. How it is that Jesus was righteous. How Jesus leads us to be righteous. We'll talk more later about what righteousness actually is, but righteousness is not about being holier than other people. It's not about thinking of yourself as morally superior to other people. It's not about thinking that you have religion right and everybody else is wrong. That's not righteousness. Righteousness is doing the right thing. It's being the right kind of person, being a person who does what Jesus would do, taking care of other people. Another biblical word for righteousness is justice. Justice is all about everything being the way it is supposed to be, not all messed up. We looked last week at how one of the primary messages of Jesus, one of the essential things that he was after was helping us learn to be righteous and just and helping us learn how to spread that among the rest of society. And so what I want to talk about today is what happened. What happened? The outcome that Jesus was interested in after he was here was in helping us 
receive God's love and God's forgiveness and then helping us learn how to live the way that God wanted us to live from the beginning, which is living righteously, justly. Did that happen then? We know that after the resurrection that we celebrate at Easter, that Jesus hung around for about 50 days and interacted with the first disciples, and then he gathered with them uh, and said, it's time for me to leave, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit came upon the entire church when they were gathered together at what we now celebrate as Pentecost, and that after Pentecost, in fact, during that very time, Peter preached the first Christian sermon. It was long, it was detailed, it was involved. Many, many people came to believe that Jesus was still alive and that Jesus was God's son and that Jesus had something vital to say to them. And so they started to live out their Christian faith. And that's the story, one of them, that we just heard read for us a moment ago in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. See, I'm very interested not just in Jesus, but I'm very interested, as you should be, in what Jesus' first followers did. And here's what we hear they did. We are told, in one of the sections that we did not read, we are told that the people began to worship together, they began to pray together, they began to study the scriptures together, they began to hang around with each other in a community of faith. And that's what we're doing right now. We are also told that they did more than that. I'll read the words again. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as they had need. Not only did Jesus' first followers start churchy kind of stuff, (laughs) they started taking care of each other. They started taking care of people not just within their community, but later on people outside of their community. As you read through the book of the Acts of the Apostles, which is essentially the history of the very earliest church, we read about people like Barnabas, who sold a field that belonged to him and then brought the proceeds from that sale to give to the apostles so that they could use the money to help take care of everybody in the church. We read a little bit later on about how so many people had needs that the apostles were weighed down with all of the business of providing meals and housing and clothing and everything else. And so the original 12 followers decided to give the job to someone else and they created deacons. They selected seven men and said, you guys be in charge of helping take care of everybody else. We just gave an offering. I just gave 10 bucks, Charlie, to that offering to help the deacons do their work. You see, people believed, once they came to know Jesus, they believed that knowing Jesus was not just having your mind and your heart changed and and, and accepting him as the leader of their lives. They believed that they also should do something about it. And they began to take care of folks. There's another story that we've read from Acts. It's a story that comes from out of the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, I know if you've been in the life of the church at all, when I say the word Paul, you probably think about a lot of things. Paul was raised as a Pharisee within the Jewish faith. He knew the Bible, the Old Testament for us, up one side and down the other. At first of all, he didn't believe in Jesus at all. In fact, he thought that Jesus was a dangerous charlatan and a blasphemer, but on the way to Damascus, he had an experience with Christ, and then he became a believer, and then he began to understand what the Old Testament was all about, and so he became an evangelist. I almost hesitated to use that word because that word has been stolen from us. An evangelist is merely someone who tells good news. The good news, 
that God loves us, the good news that death does not defeat us, the good news that with the power of God in us, we can do better in this life than we've been doing. That's good news. And so Paul started to travel from out of Jerusalem into other places of the civilized world that he knew about at that time, primarily within the Roman Empire. He began to travel and teach the good news, preach the good news, and to tell other people so that they could start communities of faith where they could start living according to that good news themselves. One of the places where apparently Paul had some success, where people actually believed about Jesus, was in Ephesus. Some of you have been to Ephesus before. In Paul's time, a couple thousand years ago, Ephesus was a major city of the Roman Empire. It was at least as important as San Diego or Los Angeles or San Francisco are today. Ephesus was big, it was rich, it was powerful. The Apostle John, when he had to leave Jerusalem and all the Christians and Jews had to leave Jerusalem, John took Mary, Jesus' mother, and they moved to Ephesus. Paul had worked in Ephesus and a wonderful church had begun there. The story that we read is a little piece of the story about Paul saying goodbye to the church in Ephesus. It's a sad story in many ways. At the end of the story, we're told that Paul, after he had visited with some of the elders of the church in Ephesus, that they all cried because they knew they would never see each other again. Paul loved that church. That church loved Paul. That's what Christians do. We love each other. The story as it's told in Acts, and I hope you'll go back and read the larger section later on. The story as it's told in Acts is all about Paul saying, guys, I came and preached the gospel to you. You believed. We've had a wonderful experience learning about following Jesus. These are all the things I've done. These are all the things I've said. And then Paul closes his conversation with the words that we just heard read. Let me read them again. Paul said to the elders, you know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work, we must support the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Most of us think about Paul as being a brilliant theologian, a courageous evangelist, someone who gave up his whole life for the sake of the Savior so that other people could know about God's love. But the last thing that Paul chose to talk about with this important church in Ephesus was not about high-flown theology. It was about what a follower of Jesus does. We give rather than receive. We support the weak rather than take care only of ourselves. One last passage, and we'll talk then about what they mean. The letter written by James. James was Jesus' brother, or we might say Jesus' half-brother. James, too, just like Jesus, had grown up in a faithful household of people who were following the Lord as they knew him at that time. James was one of the folks who helped the church begin to understand how it was supposed to live. And I think perhaps somewhere in the back of James's mind, he realized that was, there was a problem developing in the life of the early church. You see, the church had to convince everybody that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. That's no small thing to believe. That's a pretty big leap of faith. The church had to convince people that this Jesus, the convicted felon, if you will, that the Romans had crucified, and therefore somebody that we should never pay attention to, this Jesus actually was God's son, and we should pay attention to everything he said. And so that, that was a big leap for people 
to begin to change their minds about who Jesus was, to begin to change their hearts about who Jesus was, or to begin to learn about Jesus at all. And so the church began to focus day after day after day on helping people understand and believe. And that's necessary, that's important, but there's more to just believing. There's more to Christian faith than just saying, yeah, I accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's where James got so, so excited and and so interested in, in what a Christian actually is, not just someone who believes Jesus, but someone who then acts on what they believe. He says, be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. It is to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We can say that we believe all that we want. We can recite every point of Calvinist theology or whoever your favorite theologian happens to be. We could even memorize the whole Bible but still not get the point of it all. Believing, knowing, accepting, and understanding is part of it. The other part then is doing something with it. James wanted to talk about our own personal morality and ethics, and that's important, but he also wanted to talk about what we do with our lives, caring for orphans and widows. Now, there are dozens and dozens more examples, perhaps hundreds in the New Testament that we could discuss, but we won't today. That should be enough to convince you in your mind and in your heart that the business of believing in Jesus is also about the business of following Jesus' example for the way we will live our lives. And so let me just make a few observations, four to be precise. First observation, when we get our heads and hearts straight about who God is and who we are and what we are meant to be, then we should start to change. If we don't start to change, James says, then we haven't gotten the message yet. Is it hard? Yes. Does it take a long time? Yes. Do we fail a lot? Yes. Nevertheless, we start trying. And so instead of being selfish, we begin to learn to be concerned about other people. Instead of enjoying our isolation in our own little community of people that we like, we reach out to be involved in community with everyone. Instead of being greedy and taking everything for ourselves, we begin to learn to be generous and give for others. Those are just three of what I'm sure could be thousands of examples of how we begin to change. That's number one point. Number two point, it is too easy for Christians to forget that the life of following Jesus is not just about the head and the heart, it's also about the hands and the feet. What do we do with our hands? Where do we go with our feet? Because we believe and follow Jesus. There are many, many stories in the scriptures that tell us about how the first Christians began to look at the entire world with new eyes, and they began to treat children differently. They began to treat children with respect and admiration and love because they realized that children are people too. (laughs) They began to treat women differently. They began to treat slaves differently. They began to see that there are no distinctions as far as God is concerned between the rich and the poor or the old and the young 
or the black or the white or the yellow or the red or the greens or the orange or the polka dot or whatever other color you want to assign to human beings. The New Testament is filled with pages of stories about how the first Christians began to change. They began to change in the way that they acted. They began to change the way they acted together. And then they began to change the society around them. My third point is that the New Testament is only the beginning of the story. We read the story about how people fed and clothed the orphans and the widows. And, and frankly, that's one of the easiest ways to reach out and help take care of other people. Handing five bucks to a guy at the Tasty Freeze really didn't require much of me. But it was a start. The church began to realize the implications of Jesus' message. That the entire structure of our personal lives and our family lives and the lives of our friends and our communities and ultimately the life of the whole world, it's all meant to change, to reflect the way that God wants it to be from the beginning. And I know that it's hard. <laughs> I know that it's tough. There are thousands of conversations or arguments <laughs> or even fights that we could have with each other about how we're supposed to make the world work. But we are not excused from having those conversations or doing that work. The guy that I gave the five bucks to, think about that a little bit more. That's what my friend the Methodist minister did with me. He said, Jack, why do you think the guy didn't have any money? That's a good question to ask. Maybe he had just lost his job. Maybe he was incompetent and got fired. Maybe he was perfectly confident and the company was moving. Maybe the boss wanted to give his job to a friend of his and so he fired that guy. Who knows? Could I have done more to help that guy than just give him five bucks? Maybe I could have. I don't know. Maybe he was mentally ill. Maybe he was addicted to some kind of substance and he couldn't function very well. Is that just his problem or is that my problem to help him heal and to help him get better? Maybe his business partner had just stolen everything from him and he had no money. Who knows? Who knows? It's hard. It's hard to take care of the world. It's hard to act righteously and justly in such a way that ultimately the world is put back together the way that God meant it to be in the first place. But God never said that just because it's hard that we don't start, that we don't try. The first Christians from whom I learn, and you can too, began to work on doing the work of Jesus. And so that brings me to my fourth point. We are not finished with the work of becoming the world that God made us to be. Amen. Even as you allow the words of the sermon to settle in your heart, to sift through the your thinking process, even then we stand together and affirm our faith. Let's stand together. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. about that same period when you could buy a gallon of gas for less than a buck and you could feed a guy for less than five bucks. When I was about 16 or so, my bedroom at home was plastered with posters. And one of those posters said this, shut the Bible and show me how the Christ you talk about is living now. So it's time right now to shut our Bibles and go out and show the world the love of Christ. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you today and forever and ever. Let God's people say, Amen. Amen.